We were eight and 21, but it's the most successful team that I've ever been a part of. And what it did was we had to change our idea of what success is. It's so many, so many times it's measured by wins and losses. So obviously last year's Baylor team, a success. Yeah, it's easy to see, but sometimes success is showing up when you don't think you, should, you need to, or it's gonna be really difficult. Uh, believing in each other, wanting the floor or whatever you're doing, feeling like, ah, there's nothing else I could have done. There's a point in that year where, uh, you know, we've had some really hard home games and, and some really tough moments. I had a freshman walk on, call me out in practice for running because I was making us run more, which is just, a, it shows, it's a small thing, but I used to win in sprints against guys like John Lucas, who was a f just so fast, is because I was willing to push myself farther than, than they were, other guys were. But I'm losing in sprints, I'm making us run more, and a freshman walk-on calls me out, and it's just that moment, and I was, I was really ready to quit. Coach Driscoll, you know, right, left, repeat, you just keep going. There's a moment in that season, it was the game before Purdue, where and I'm not, please don't, don't think that I'm saying when I got on board, we started, no, no. Uh, the, um, our team was playing hard. Our, our, our T and Terrence were leading well. Harvey, we learned that he could score. And, and this zone that coach put in and our way of holding the ball was helping us to be competitive. But once, once I got over myself a little bit and, and we all started to gel together, there was this strange um, belief of like, what if every night we just try to do what nobody thinks we can do? Paper, we should not be able to play with. And we got almost a taste. We almost beat hmm, Texas Pan America, I think. Uh, almost beat them. They, they had like a weird scooping buzzer beater shot that like we're so close. And then Purdue is 22 in the country. They had beat Duke earlier that year. And with a minute left, we're down three. And they're shooting free throws, and their players are locking arms on the bench, which if you know, that means that they're really focused and worried about these free throws and that they could lose the game. And I just thought, like, on the free throw line, laughing a little bit, like, what? The success. They might lose to us. That's a win. You know, like that's, that's, that's six to Texas, which is the worst place to play. And they're the worst people. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, no, uh, but it's a hard place to play. And they, they, they were just so good. They had just wave after wave of, of all Americans coming in. And RT and, and Terrence were academ academically ineligible to start off the Big 12. So there takes two of our seven scholarship, because we had seven at that point, seven scholarship players. Our first sub was Robbie McKenzie, the, the pre-med walk-on from that walk-on tryout that we had on campus that, that, that coaches on the news talking about that they asked me to go watch, and I'm like, I can't believe like we're in. But what big Rob, I could only imagine James Thomas from, he was 6'10", he had boulders for shoulders uh, from Texas, Watching Robbie sub in at 6-4, our first sub, I, I could only imagine his pleasure. Or, you know, the see, this, is, this is what you got. And, but in that game, uh, we lost by 20, but we played really hard. And walking out of that place, 
there were some fans, Texas fans, left in the corner of the arena, and they were standing and clapping. And I kind of, you know, thought maybe some of the Texas players were still dunking or putting on a show because they were all really fresh. And I realized that these Texas fans were cheering for us. They were applauding. I get a little, yeah, a little emotional. They're applauding uh, us leaving because we, had, we didn't quit. Like we kept playing hard. That doesn't happen without the leadership of Coach Drew and his staff and just their ability to, where I felt like what, we, well, in 20 years, I'm probably not gonna be sitting at a Legends luncheon. You know, like, <laughs> there's a lot of moments in that year where I thought this is just, this is, I, I bet there's a lot of people that just can't wait for this year to be over and move on. And, and, and even, you know, to coach's credit, like I knew that they were working hard recruiting for the future, but they also gave us their best. You know, we did, we beat a, uh, Iowa State here. That was our first win. And Terrence Thomas erased the zero that was on the board and put a one. And we were spraying, you know, Mountain Dew cans all water all over the place. See, that was before. Now everybody celebrates every win like they didn't expect to do it. And, and they get it all on video. Championship right there. We did beat AM twice, which there's nothing better than that. And they, their coach was fired the day after uh, because losing to us is the worst thing that you could do. And, but all throughout, I mean, down 10 uh, or down four with 10 minutes to go at Kansas with a full roster years before we hadn't done that. Oklahoma State with John Lucas comes in. They're sixth in the country. We lose by six. Uh, at Oklahoma, the very last game of the year, we're up 14 at half. But what happened was we got tired. Um, we, we ran out of gas. We couldn't finish games. And, and we lost. So there was, we had lost by 50 to Oklahoma before with a full graduate wondering uh, if it mattered at all. And, and I went off to play in Iceland or try to play there for a little bit. It's the only place in the world that would take uh, eight and a half points a game. Uh, but um, yeah, in a nutshell, that's the senior year. Yeah. Forgot about Iceland. I'm glad you brought that up. So you are, and by the way, you mentioned Oklahoma State comes in and John Lucas, he had, he had transferred out. He was playing at Oklahoma State. Kenny Taylor was at Texas. Yeah. Lawrence Roberts went to Mississippi State. And those guys went on and finished their careers at other places. Thus, the title of your book, The Leftovers, you guys who stayed behind. And you, Matt, are a man of great faith. And I, I appreciate and love what you went through then. And I realized that I, it was more of a, a good moral living that I was all about than really being a Christ follower. You know, I was saved when I was five and, and I prayed the prayer right next to my mom in Cubbies because she asked if I wanted to go to heaven or hell. I said, heaven, pray the prayer. You know, so I, I was done and I'm not belittling that, that moment or that prayer, but I just had grown up with that knowledge, a lot of head knowledge. But then again, basketball early on really took over where if, what does your life revolve around? Where is all of practice there? Uh, they, uh, one of my teammates asked me, where'd you play in college? And I thought, okay, they've never seen a player 
of my caliber. Baylor, Big 12, they've never, they're going to be really impressed. And he, uh, he looks up and puzzled and he goes, don't they kill people there? So I, I tried to, I mean, I ran from the story and everything. And even, even during that year, uh, I felt like every, not with you two, I always appreciated you two. You guys talked about basketball. But media, I, I, even like after the Iowa State when it was, hey, Matt, reflect back to the summer. Oh, and I wanted to, no, I, we're done with that. Can we please move on? Well, I, you know, I go to Iceland thinking, okay, bad habits followed me too. And the sad thing is that as good as I was playing there, because Big 12 really did help me prepare my off-court habits, I was asked to leave that country because of those habits, and, or at least that city. And, and, and I came back home, and so I went on a nine-year. Uh, Paul Mills used to be an assistant here. We were at um, my apartment doing a Bible study. Used to be, that would be something that um, I would be all for and feel really, really good about hosting at my apartment but I knew what had gone on there the night before. And so being in those moments, it was, there um, came. Uh, Coach Mills was giving us a, a Bible study and he stopped and he said, almost like he was talking right to me, he said, don't think that you can live the way that you want now, do whatever you want now with no consequences, and then when you get out in the real world, life will slow down, uh, temptations will go away, and you can get back into living right, you know, whatever that is. And I remember as a 21-year-old, in my head, I know you're wrong. That's exactly what I'm going to do right now. I'm going to get through this time because this is hard. And then when I'm out, I'll get back into church and I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the habits that I had before. Well, I'd become a team of broken relationships. And, you know, I mean, I was functioning um, that I run into from those early years of coaching because I was angry and I think I coached that way I was coaching more like uh you know Bobby Knight coach Bliss the guys that I had been around I wasn't coaching like coach Drew it I wasn't smiling very much and it wasn't positive uh, it was more um extrinsic you better do this or else instead of helping players to do it because of what uh, inside of them, what, you know, doing their very, very best and glorifying. And um, so all of that to say, I'm 30 years old and uh, I don't know, even at that point, I didn't know if what we did that year mattered to a lot of people. I'd had some conversations, Pastor Walker, he said that, you know, one time at a game, put my, his big old arm around me and said, hey, look out at the floor. And he said, then on the, you know, on the inside, I'm still frustrated. And uh, I, my 30th birthday by myself, in my, in my apartment, and I just kind of asked this question, like, is this, is this it? Like, is this really what life is supposed to be like? And uh, I went to a church a couple weeks later. You can stop me whenever you want. I'm just I'm kind of rambling here. You go. Are you okay. getting to Jana? I'm getting to Jana. All right, you go. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I, uh, I, went, I went to a church that I hadn't gone to before and sat in the back and listened to a message I felt like I heard 100 times growing up. And they passed that visitor card by. And I mean, you know, growing up in church, you're never a visitor. So I never fill out that card. And I, I wrote, I'm angry and I never dreamt that. And I put my name down and my address and put, threw it in there and, and never and tried to get me this uh, meeting with a pastor. It took a couple weeks, but when I got to the church that day, she opened the door, 
walked me in and, and introduced me to the pastor. And I, and I basically just sat here and told them the story that I've told you of, I thought I was a good person, a good kid, and, and that I, I, I tried to live a godly life. And, and, but then all this bad stuff happened that I didn't cause in any way. And, and now it's nine years later and I'm still as angry and frustrated with, and, and with this lifestyle and these habits that are destructive. And I don't understand why. And he, and he basically told me, oh, you know, in a long conversation was that you, you need to give up control. I was like, I've, I've been in basketballs ripped away. You decided in that moment, I'm gonna be Lord of my life. I'm gonna decide where my joy comes from, how my happiness, where, what, it, what my value is in, and just do whatever I want. And I never realized, you know, at that moment of taking control of my life, how I'd really lose it at that time. And so that was the day, my, you know, a little bit after my 30th birthday that I surrendered and really gave up control to Christ. Not that I've been perfect since then. Jana knows that. But there, there ha- there, from that moment, there was demonstrated or, or hurting, no longer had that pull. And I also think God puts people in our lives for a reason. And so that lady that emailed me and, and walked me through the church She's sitting right there. And, uh, you know, we've been married almost nine years. I mean, my, my idea, uh, sometimes when I'm talking, but no, my idea was just to go in and, and vent that day to a pastor, but then, you know, God's plans are so much greater. Um, yeah, that, that's a... What a story. That is a great story. Janet, we love you. What about this... You mentioned Coach Drew in this past season. You as a former player, you were invited back to be part of the celebration parade. You got a package in the mail from Coach Drew, from the staff. What did that mean to you for Coach Drew and this staff to remember you and guys you played with and former players as the foundation of what they did winning the national championship? It took me a few years to come back on campus and go to a game. And, and one of the big on head I didn't was I, I was wanted, meaning like I'm, I'm a part of this dark chapter. It's the Coach Drew era now. Let's close that. And then we've got, you know, these better players coming in, a lot of hope and moving forward. And I come to a game, I just didn't know what the reception would be like. And, and it's silly now to think about it. Like people would have said, hey, you, you get out of here. You know? <laughs> yeah, it was, it was great. And, but, Coach Drew uh, saw me from across the court and just almost sprinted. You know, he just ran, walked right to me with a huge bear hug. And it just really, it meant a lot because I'd only played for him for a year. And I wasn't perfect during that year. A one, and, and, but for him to make me feel like uh, as if I was a great Baylor basketball players that are now household names all over the place, like I get it if he feels that way about them. But me, just one year, eight and 21, and you know some duff, difficult times, he, he made me feel that way. Over the years, he's done an incredible job of texting me and former players randomly uh, on big moments of, hey, you're a huge part of this. Like, I, I mean, that's special. In fact, what, it, what he's done, too, is I, I coach way more. I know we had a playoff game last night, and Coach Drew, I'm sorry, one time last night, I had a really mean face at my players. And even Janice said, yeah, that was a really mean face. 
like, well, I like him now. I'm, they didn't do him than, than the coach before him. And I lost my train of thought. And uh, the influence of Coach Drew, yeah. his impact. Over the years, the over the years. Oh, yeah, he's, so I text my former players, and I do the things that he does with us. And before Coach Drew came, I would say that, and you know, former players w- would know, our program is what has been fractured. Like there's no continuity, there's no flow from 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and then the, you know, these recent players. To walk in that parade and to see, that doesn't happen with 60 years of players all together in one program. To get that t-shirt, of course, you open it up and you find your name really quick. Yeah, I'm on there. And, uh, you know, but it's such a, what a, what a great thought. And, and I just, I'm so grateful to Coach Drew, all the other coaches, Driscoll and, 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 uh, and Coach Mills, obviously Coach Tang, who uh, I'll never forget him beating those metal trash cans on our way out. They would do anything they could to get us hyped up to play these games that sometimes we just felt like, golly, there's no way we can do this. But they, they just never stopped believing in us.